Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to the award-winning Basketball History 101 part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old-school basketball to a new-school audience, and today we bring you part two of our profile on the career and life of Oscar Robertson. Last week in part one, we covered Oscar's childhood and his high school career. He was born in Tennessee, but raised in Indianapolis, where he attended Crispus Attucks High School. He led Attucks all the way to the Indiana State semifinal as a sophomore, where he lost to a team of destiny, Little Milan High School from Milan, Indiana. Milan is the team that serves as the basis for the movie Hoosiers. But still, leading your team to the Final Four of your state is an incredible accomplishment, especially for a 16-year-old sophomore. Then, in his junior and senior years, he led Attucks all the way to back-to-back Indiana State Championships. Oscar was an incredibly gifted player. Now, you know how there are some players who are late bloomers? You know, guys like Ben Wallace, Steph Curry, or Steve Nash? These are guys who were not highly recruited coming out of high school and all ended up at smaller schools because of it. But then eventually, they became Hall of Fame level players. Well, that was not the case with Oscar. By his senior year of high school, he was considered by many to be the best player in the country and a player who was destined for greatness. As I mentioned last week, there were 75 schools that were after his basketball skills. In the end, he chose the University of Cincinnati, which at the time was a smaller private school with a mediocre basketball program. Today, it has transitioned to a state school in Ohio and has around 30,000 students. But the reason that he chose Cincinnati in the first place was because of the impressive visit that he had. The University of Cincinnati rolled out the red carpet for Oscar. While he was one of the very few black students at the school, he was assured that he would not have any problems in regard to race. He would live in the dorms and take all the same classes as any other student. Segregation still existed in parts of the city of Cincinnati, and Oscar knew that, but it would not exist on campus where he would spend most of his time. Oscar was assured that at least on campus, he would have no problems. Except for a few individual professors, that was pretty much true. He also met two people on that official visit to Cincinnati that would be tremendous help to him in his years beyond playing in college. The first man was Walter Paul, who was a business executive and a part-time basketball recruiter for the university. He knew that Oscar Robertson could change the course of their basketball program, and he did the hard work that very few college coaches did back then. He actually bothered to find out what kind of a kid Oscar was. Was he the kind of kid who would ask for money to play at a certain school? I mean, he would not have been the first to do so. Many of the top high school players asked for money under the table to play for a certain school. Oscar never did that. Even though he grew up in poverty, he was raised to be honest and not do anything that could harm his or his family's reputation. In fact, that is why he turned down Indiana University. Coach Branch McCracken tried to recruit Oscar, but in a very straightforward manner asked Oscar if he was the kind of kid who wanted money to play at Indiana. Obviously, he had never bothered to find out what kind of a kid Oscar was before he asked that question. 
Oscar was so offended by the question that he just stood up and walked out of the coach's office, and that was the end of his visit with Indiana University. But as I just said, Walter Paul took the time and effort to find out about Oscar's background and made sure that Oscar's visit to Cincinnati was as comfortable as possible. During the visit, Paul took Oscar to a Cincinnati Reds baseball game. The stadium was still segregated at the time, which was the summer of 1956. Oscar could quickly tell that there was a white section and a black section, which consisted primarily of the bleacher seats in the outfield. But Oscar was sitting in the white section with Walter Paul and nobody bothered them. It was curious at first, but he later figured out that Walter Paul had private box and could bring anyone he wanted to sit with him. No questions asked. At that game, there was another man sitting with them in those box seats. It was Walter Paul's good friend, J.W. Brown, one of Cincinnati's leading attorneys and the senior partner of the law firm of Brown and Gettler. Both men were genuinely kind to Oscar and wanted the best for Oscar. And of course, they wanted him to play for the University of Cincinnati. Um, let us not pretend that the recruiting visit had any other goal in mind except to land Oscar Robertson. Walter Paul would serve as a friend and confidant during Oscar's four years in Cincinnati and beyond as he mentored Oscar in business and even suggested different stocks that Oscar might want to invest in, even during his college days. Walter Paul was instrumental in helping Oscar invest his NBA money to help secure his financial future, and he did so at no charge. The same was true with J.W. Brown, the attorney. He represented Oscar in NBA contract negotiations at no charge. In some cases, Oscar would represent himself when negotiating an endorsement contract, but he always had J.W. review the contract first before Oscar signed them. To make a long story short, he had two heavy hitters in his corner. He had one of Cincinnati's leading businessmen and one of Cincinnati's leading attorneys as genuine friends. They never cared one bit about the color of Oscar's skin. They wanted to see him succeed in basketball and life and they wanted him to do it at Cincinnati of course. This is a good place to take a break and I'll be right back with the college career of Oscar Robertson. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of unique Unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row 1 catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row 1 Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes. Hi, everybody. Dan and Andrew from Hello Old Sports here. We wanted to drop in and let you know about our latest episode. That's right. We interviewed the co-authors of Phyllis George, Shattering the Ceiling, a biography of groundbreaking broadcaster Phyllis George. And her life is really sort of a journey through 20th century America, from Miss America pageants to the Kentucky State House to the groundbreaking NFL Today show on CBS, even the Kentucky Colonels, the old ABA. 
we got into all sorts of stories about the Celtics under Red Arback, about the interview with Roger Staubach, about really all sorts of things, a fight between Brent Musburger and Jimmy the Greek. We really enjoyed talking with Lenny Shulman and Paul Volponi, who teamed up to write this book. The book is on sale right now wherever books are sold. You know, within reason, garage sales, probably not. So go ahead and pick up a copy today. And if you want a chance to win the book, you can go to sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways and register for a chance to win. Goodbye, old sports. Welcome back to the show, and let us continue with the story of Oscar Robertson, particularly his time at the University of Cincinnati. If you are a regular listener to this show, then you know that back in the 1950s, freshmen or first-year players were not allowed to play for the varsity at the university level. Freshmen had to play on the freshman team. The NCAA figured that players needed a year to get used to college life before they were given the added pressure of playing for the varsity team in any sport. In any case, Oscar played on the freshman team and destroyed all competition. He was the big biggest and quickest point guard around. He could do everything. He had all the skills that any coach would want a point guard to have, but with Oscar's size, he could take the ball into the post with his back to the basket and destroy his much smaller defender for an easy layup or a short jump shot. It was just unfair in many ways, but at the time, most point guards were only about six foot one or even shorter. Oscar was six foot five. He was very big point guard for his day. So after a year with the freshman team, it was time for Oscar to join the varsity and really show what he could do against good competition from around the country. The games for Cincinnati basketball were broadcast on radio WSAI-AM with announcer Dick Baker. Very early in Oscar's sophomore year, he began referring to Oscar as the Big O. Well, that name just stuck. Oscar Robertson was from then on known as the Big O. Oscar later titled his own autobiography as the Big O. In newspaper articles written by local Cincinnati writers, he was sometimes referred to as Ozzy, but that name did not really stick beyond college. Now, that year, again, was his first year on varsity, and he averaged over 35 points per game. He took the nation by storm. In one game, Cincinnati traveled to New York to play a game against Seton Hall University in Madison Square Garden. Now, this was a dream for Oscar. In fact, one of his conditions for joining the team at Cincinnati was that they traveled to New York and play at Madison Square Garden every year. So the team made it happen. The date of that first game was January 9th, 1958, and he had an incredible scoring night. He was in such a zone that night that he was not even aware of how many points he was scoring. He was just completely in the flow of the game. He was scoring, sure, but he was also snatching rebounds like his life depended on it, and he was hitting open teammates with passes for assists if a double team came to him. He was Mr. Everything for the team. And when the final horn sounded, the score was Cincinnati 118, Seton Hall 54. Seton Hall was no slouch of a team, but they had just gotten beat down by 64-point margin. It was a shellacking like they had never seen before. But as the box score came in, sports writers realized that Oscar had scored 56 of those points by himself. That means that Oscar, with 56 points, had outscored Seton Hall by himself as their entire team only had 54. Not only was 56 points the new single-game scoring record for Cincinnati, it was also a Madison Square Garden record for a college player. If you were going to make a big splash, New York was the city to do it in. Back in the late 1950s, basketball was not broadcast on TV very often, so the way to become famous was to play in front of the New York media, who would write up article after article about you. And that is what happened with Oscar. He was the darling player of the New York media. His game 
got even more attention after Sports Illustrated called and they wanted to do a cover story on him. Oscar Robertson was the first black basketball player to make the cover of Sports Illustrated. Now, Joe Lapchick, the Hall of Fame player, was the opposing coach for Seton Hall that night. Lapchick had played for the original Celtics way back in the 1920s, and prior to the year 1950, Lapchick was considered one of the top five basketball players of all time. His opinion of a player carried a lot of weight, and he called Oscar the greatest sophomore player that he had ever seen. That is incredibly high praise. Oscar's sophomore year ended with lots of individual success, but not team success, but they were improving. He came back the following year as a junior and led the entire nation in scoring. Oscar led the team all the way to the NCAA Final Four where they were matched up with the University of California, coached by Hall of Famer Pete Newell. Newell was a very innovative coach. He knew full well that the way to stop Cincinnati was to stop Oscar. He employed a special defense that they had never run before because it was designed especially for Oscar Robertson. It mainly consisted of disciplined double teams and switches. Basically, Pete Newell's approach was to not give Oscar any room to even breathe. And in the end, it worked. Cincinnati lost by six points and California moved on to the championship game where they defeated the University of West Virginia, which featured Jerry West. So coach Pete Newell defeated Oscar Robertson and Jerry West in back-to-back -back games to win the national championship. If Pete Newell was not already in the Hall of Fame, I would put him in for that alone. That took Oscar to the summer of 1959, and that was the summer that the Pan American Games were going to be held. The Pan Am Games were always held the summer before the Olympics to serve as sort of a tune-up for the athletes looking to compete in the Olympics the following summer. Well, that summer, both Oscar and Jerry West were named to Team USA for the Pan Am Games, and that was the first time that the two got to know each other and play together, and they hit it off beautifully. Jerry West is notorious for being introverted and quiet, especially as a young man, but as far as basketball was concerned, the two clicked like they had been playing together their entire lives. Oscar had been looking forward to playing with West since West was considered probably the second best player in the country after Oscar, or vice versa depending on whom you were talking to. But they won the Pan Am Games and then returned to their respective universities for their final season of college basketball. Oscar took his game to an even higher level. That senior year, Oscar broke Frank Selvey's all-time college scoring record, and he held on to that record until it was broken by Pistol Pete Maravich. He played magnificently that year. He was making a clear argument for being a lock as the first overall pick in the upcoming NBA draft. As a senior, Oscar led his team again to the NCAA Final Four, where they matched up with the University of California for the second year in a row. But this time, they knew what to expect. They had worked on ways to beat Coach Newell's defense, but I will say this, very rarely was Pete Newell ever outcoached by his opponent, and the results proved the same as the year before. California doubled and sometimes triple teamed Oscar and forced anyone else from Cincinnati to beat them. Oscar would consistently hit the open man with a pass when he was double teamed, but his teammates could not make enough of those shots, and California won the game 77-69 to and it was a repeat of the year before. California moved on to the championship game, but they did not win it like they did the year before. In 1960, California lost to Ohio State, which featured John Havlicek, Jerry Lucas, and off the bench, Bobby Knight. All three of those guys are Hall of Famers. Unfortunately for Oscar, there would be no more chances for championships in college. His time at Cincinnati was over as a player, and he had half a semester to go before graduation, and then it would be off to the NBA. But before he left for the NBA, he had two things to accomplish. 
first, he had to marry his fiancée, Yvonne, who was also a graduate of the University of Cincinnati. And second, he still had the 1960 Summer Olympics to play in Rome, Italy. He was again joined by Jerry West on Team USA, and they were named co-captains of the team. Now guess who was the coach of that Olympic team? It was none other than Pete Newell, who had knocked Oscar out of the NCAA Final Four twice. But this time, he would have Oscar playing for him instead of against him. Now, there were no hard feelings between the two. Coach Newell essentially told Oscar that he knew how good Oscar really was because Coach Newell had twice devised defenses just for him. But now, he was going to unleash all of Oscar's offensive power at the rest of the world. Along with Jerry West, who had the energy of a jackrabbit and an absolutely deadly jump shot, Team USA destroyed the rest of the competition at the Olympics, and they did not have a single close game. They defeated everyone by an average of 42 points per game, and that's the margin of victory. Their closest game was a 24-point victory over the Soviets. Up until the 1992 Olympic Dream Team that featured Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, and Larry Bird, the 1960 team with Oscar and Jerry West was considered the greatest Olympic team in history. So Oscar came home with his gold medal and began preparing for life in the NBA. And this is a good place to take a break from this episode. We will be back next week with a final entry into the life and career of Oscar Robertson. We will cover his NBA career and his retirement year. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories in the past. Take care and see you soon.